All right, the nightmare is over, Pauly. Xavier has finally done it in their 10th try. They have beaten Villanova at Villanova, 88-80 to 80 the final. And uh, really, this game was – Xavier was in control the entire time. I mean, there were, there were a few times early in the second half that it was tied up over the first five minutes. But Xavier had that stretch where they hit three threes in a row, uh, maybe around the 12-minute mark or so. And uh, from then on, they were pretty much in control of this one. Well, that's my biggest takeaway with it, Rick, is that every time you feel like Xavier comes down to the end now and you get into a close game, you have the guys, you have the talent, you have the guts to win these games. How many close games has Xavier been in now in a row and they've been able to close them out? You get down at the end, yeah, it was probably a little more dicey than people would have liked. You have some turnovers, you can't inbound the ball, but you just have the guys now to close out the game and Xavier finally gets it done. We've already got some calls uh, requested here, so we'll get to them in just a second. I do want to hit on Zach Fremantle, post a double-double, one of his best games in a Xavier uniform, especially on the offensive end of the floor. He had 29 points on 12 of 17 shooting, 2 of 2 from beyond the arc, also had 11 rebounds, 4 assists, and 0 turnovers. Sule Boom also pitched in with a double-double. He had 22 points on just 8 shots. He was 5 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 from beyond the arc, a perfect 10 of 10 at the free throw line. He had 10 rebounds, six assists, and just two turnovers. So two outstanding performances by two of Xavier's best players. All right, I see Dan in here. I think we should go right to Dan. All right, let's bring uh, Dan in. Dan, what's going on? Hey, guys, how you doing? Um, you know, I think... The, the the thing I wanted to ask you guys about and, and think about was the uh, probably the quotation of the offseason after Sean Miller got the job was that line in, in Norlander's article about my job is to get Xavier back on the effing rails. Uh, given what we've seen the last week, do you guys think Xavier is back on the effing rails at this stage? I would say Xavier is firmly back on the effing tracks at this point, yes. And I guess my, the, but the underlying question for you guys is how has he been able to do this this quickly? And I understand there's still a long way to go this season, but there's obviously a massive, to use a Rothsteinism, a palpable change in the way this team approaches these big games, in the way that they close out games, as Paul said, in the way that they don't get intimidated, they're unflappable in tough environments. I mean, how has Sean Miller been able to do this this quickly in you guys' view? And I will, I'll take my answer off the air. Also, fire Coach Cal. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, Rick, I, I know somebody posted about this on the board. It might have been you. It might have been the great Charles Bronson. I don't remember who it was. But the shooting performances this year from Xavier the, and the shooting percentages this year, the offense, the seventh best offense in the country because the right people are taking the shots. You look at Jerome. Last year, Jerome Hunter took 66 threes on the season. This year, he's taken one. It's all of these guys playing their right roles. It's not necessarily the change of personnel, I don't think. I think it's that the coaching has figured out how to use every single guy on this roster to the best of their ability. Yeah, I've been preaching about the role allocation all year. And the more I watch of other teams, too, um, Cincinnati, I think, is a great example right now where 
you know, guys like Micah Adams Woods and Jeremiah Davenport think it's okay to just shoot their team out of games. And Sean Miller does not let that happen on this team. You, ha- you know, a- as he said during the St. John's All Access, don't take effed up shots. They don't do that. He doesn't allow for that to happen. And uh, he, it's weird because that that originated guys taking those bad shots in, in the last few years originated from a place of wanting guys to have confidence and and play freely on the offensive end. And ultimately what it led to is indecisiveness and guys starting to question themselves because they weren't doing what they were best at and that led to them not being successful. The difference now is, yeah, these guys may be a little bit more restricted. Yeah, Jerome, we don't want you shooting threes anymore. But what happens as a product of that is they do the things they're good at and that makes them successful. And ironically, what happens then is they gain confidence from that success that they're having by being good at what they're capable of doing on the floor. And, and I think that's what you've seen with a lot of guys. And to me, that's been the most important part of the turnaround this year is just getting the right guys to play the way they're supposed to play. And I think uh, it's, it seems obvious and it seems kind of generic but it really is so important to have guys bought into roles. You, you can't have everybody being a go-to scorer. You can't have everybody being the best shooter on your team. It, it can't always be an open shot for anybody on our team is a good shot. Unless you truly have that type of talent and Xavier really has never had that, you can't play that way. And I think that's been the biggest difference between what Sean Miller has done this year and, and the previous years. And I think the other thing to me too, Rick, is how Xavier's winning in different ways this year, especially now in the last few games, because Sean talked about that. He got asked in a press conference a couple of games ago at Xavier about, do you feel confident that Xavier can win in multiple ways? And it kind of got a laugh out of the, out of the press conference, out of the media room, because he was like, oh, well, we're, we're not at that point yet. But now all of a sudden you've seen Kobe Jones play through a flu game. You saw Jack Nungy play through a flu game against Connecticut. You have a week off after a, the Christmas break. You know, you play one game against UConn. Then you get another week off. You have your bye week going into a game against Villanova. And you're sitting here before the UConn game a week ago. You and I are talking about how this Xavier team should be happy to go 2-2 two and two in the next four, given the fact you're playing against UConn, Villanova, Marquette, and Creighton. You go 2-2, two and two, you're feeling really good about yourself going into DePaul and Georgetown. All of a sudden, you started 2-0 and oh in that stretch. And everything else is gravy now with two home games with Creighton and the students coming back and then Marquette on MLK weekend next weekend. So I, you climb the hill against UConn, you beat number two at home, you finally win at Villanova. Now it's just to me thinking to myself, what other box can this team check? Yeah, and to your point about winning in different ways, I think that again goes back to it, it's no longer optional to do what you're supposed to do on the offensive end. For instance, when Villanova had a bad matchup inside on Zach Fremantle today, it wasn't optional whether or not you got the ball inside. That's just what they do now. You have to do it or you come out of the game. And when you play a team like Villanova, you have to take advantages of the few opportunities that they're going to give you, the mistakes that they make. And, And that style that they play where they're switching one through five a lot of the time, it creates mismatches. And when you have those mismatches, you have to take advantage of them. And and today Xavier was able to do that often early. And and then Villanova had to kind of adjust to that a little bit and it opened up some other things. And, and I think that kind of, you know, Xavier can now 
win a game by pounding the ball inside, getting those high-low actions. They can win games by getting to the free throw line. Today, they were a more efficient three-point shooting team than Villanova was, and that was part of the reason that they were able to score so many points, eight, put up 88 points, and went on the road like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Paul. Let's bring in uh, Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Unmute yourself, Jerome, if that is Jerome you. is king. Jerome is God, but the Jerome Hunter Fan Club would also like to give a lot of props to Zach Freeman tonight. He is him tonight. Uh, for, first of all, are we, we going to pray? Oh, sorry, sorry. My fault, my fault, my fault. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Give all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Amen. My, my apologies. Okay, yeah, I, no. It's not Sunday. I forget sometimes. My apologies. I get it. I, I mean, we, we talked about this last time. You're not a big religious guy, yeah. but I, no, I, I, just went to I do appreciate school, tradition. I just went to a Catholic school. That's all. I get it. Um, you know, you're right, though. How good was Zach Freeman today? He, in this game? He, and, you know, I think and I kind of mentioned this a couple of times that like Jerome had been getting a lot of the praise for being like the sort of comeback guy. But Zach Fremantle is sneakily and I think he's proven it this game for sure. He's just right there with a huge comeback. His man, he's putting this team on his shoulders with te- where you've had these games where, you know, Colby hasn't been the best. Sule hasn't been doing what he was crazily doing at the beginning of the season. But Zach Fremantle has been the constant, I feel like, every game this year. And he he went balls to the wall today. Yeah, and sometimes there's been games where I think Zach's been the beneficiary of some of these other guys creating, drawing more defensive attention, maybe drawing the other team's best defenders. And they're creating plays for him, and, and he's just cleaning up on drop-offs and some stick-backs and things like that. Tonight he did a little bit of that. But there was also a lot of times where Zach Fremantle was just putting this team on his back, especially late in the game when you had Caleb Daniels knocking down threes and, and Villanova's looking like they're going to make this comeback at home with the, the crowd behind them. And then Zach Fremantle would you know catch the ball at the top of the key, pump fake his man, spin move into the lane and hit a floater or knock down a three of his own. I mean, he, he was just so good in those final minutes. It was like he was refusing to let Xavier lose this game. Absolutely. He, I I don't know. I mean, when he was hitting those threes at the end, that's when you just knew he wasn't missing whatsoever. And it was also BS, typical refs trying to stop Xavier, typical Fox News trying to stop Xavier. That <laughs> two was a three. We all know it. We all know it. You know, they well, can't fix a smudge, so we shouldn't be surprised. Isn't that kind of weird that it's like you go to the review to look at a play like that, which honestly I'd kind of just rather play on, be like, oh, yes, sorry, you got screwed. It, was, it, was, it should have been a three, but it was a two. But you go to the, the review monitor, look at it. You can clearly see a gap between his shoe and the three-point line, yeah. and you just completely it, ignore that and call it a it, two anyway? It wasn't I, – I thought it was pretty clear that, that – I thought, like, on, initially that, okay, it was close. But then when they replayed it, I mean, it was clear you could see the gap. But, it, again, it just brings – and this is for all sports at the end of the day. If we're not going to get it on replay, then what's the point of having replay? Yeah, that that drives me crazy about it. And I kind of get like, they always go to this, uh, well, it had to be inconclusive evidence uh, to overturn the call on the the court or the field. But it's like, in that situation, it's pretty white or black to me. If you see any gap in between the shoe and the three-point arc, it should be a three. And you clearly could. Well, and the other thing, too, is like, if you're not going to get the call right, how many stoppages are we going to have at these last two minutes where it's like, not even like are you just extending the game and just not making it fun to watch, but it's like there's a lot of things that in basketball, like with momentum and kids getting tired, that like when you go to these reviews 
and you're then not making the right calls. It's just like you're just you are impacting the game in more negativity ways than you are positive. No, so I agree I, with you. It's it's just I don't know. We have all this technology, and if we're not going to use it, what's the point of having it? So I'll, I'll hop off. Jerome Hunter, I'll, my comments on Jerome Hunter. He looks like he has a lot more confidence. The rim tonight was anti-Jerome, so we'll be talking to the pavilion <laughs> about that. Um, but we are soaking in the historic win tonight. Sean Miller is God, and God is great. Let's go, let's go X. All right, Jerome Hunter Fan Club, one of our favorites here on the show. Appreciate you joining us as always. We will talk to you soon, my friend. Uh, Paul, follow up on that call. And and by the way, uh, load them up. We have we have no more calls in the queue right now. So go ahead if you want to get in here, get your request in. And uh, Paul, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, no, I I think you made some great points there, especially with Zach, where sometimes you felt like last year, you know. Was Zach playing out of control? Was he taking shots he wasn't supposed to be in? What kind of role was he playing? And it goes back. You don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over. I, I want to, you know, make sure we, you know, we get some of this new stuff in here. But I think it's it's right on where you get Zach into a spot where he's in the right spot on the floor every time he comes down the floor. And what did we say on the space? What was it? Whenever we did the pregame space where, hey, look, you know, he, whenever he needs to step up, and hit a three, he's not hitting many, he's not taking many, but when he needs to step up and take one, he's doing it, and he's doing it with confidence. So between him and, and Jerome, I know Jerome was a little quieter today, but either way, it just it's the same thing over and over that I just keep looking back to where it's amazing that with pretty much the same team as last year, I know there's some differences, but the core of this team is really the same as last year, and, and you're just getting so much more out of them. Yeah, I mean, Zach has had a, a pretty consistent season overall, but this was, to me, this game was just exceptional. I, I thought he was great. He was a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, as far as the, the three-point shooting, I thought that play at the top of the key that I was talking about where he was kind of trailing the play, he caught it, and he was open for a split second at the top of the key, but it would have been a quick three for a guy who that's probably not the best part of his game. And instead, he kind of pump faked. He starts to drive left. He spins back. He shoots a floater over the front of the rim from about eight feet, and he swishes it. And then after that, he knocks down a three a few possessions later. And I think that's just kind of the difference in his game. He's sticking to what he's best at. He's getting his confidence extremely high. And then, like you said, he's taking those open threes as they present them to him. And, and a lot of times it's in big moments, and he's knocking them down. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Doc. Or Cap. We got Cap, too. I thought Cap was at work. He is, fellas. He is. He's Cap. Out. Cap, Speak to fellas, us. how are we? Did you quit? Uh, no. It's a Saturday, though, so a lot of the big wigs are out, so it's a little easier to, to step out and uh, and do the real important shit. That's what yeah, I like to well, hear. I think What's I on your mind? three big takeaways. Not a whole lot. It's just nice to win at Nova. But the one major takeaway everyone's talked about is just the role that Fremantle played tonight and just how much of a wild card he was coming into the season. And now I think he's maximized what we could have ever thought he was going to be this year. Uh, so that's one. We've already talked about that. Two, I thought, Rick, you, t- you, t- you tweeted this, and I was thinking the exact same thing. I didn't think X played extremely well, and I thought the gap in the score didn't reflect what the gap was in my mind with the eye test between these two teams. In the first Correct. half? Yeah, it was a four-point game, and it's like Xavier hadn't shot a free throw. You had the weird Colby Jones turnovers where he just kind of gave a few possessions away. 
you had a, a few calls that, I mean, I don't think the officials were particularly bad in this game, but there were a few calls that were definitely 50-50s that went against Xavier in, in the, down the stretch of the first half. Um, there were just a handful of things where it was like, this feels like it's about an 8-12 to 12 point game, and it's only four right now. Totally agree. It just it, The eye test wasn't, wasn't matching up with the score. And then Paul has talked about this a lot on the rebound rundown. Great podcast, by the way. Going to plug that for you. Um, but I thought that this kind of showed all the ways that Xavier can beat you. Because first half you're playing, you know, you're trying to get switches on defense and trying to get easy buckets, picking on him on the interior. And I thought Sule Boom carried you and, and Fremantle carried you down the stretch there. And I think you've seen it all season. Xavier can grind you down. Xavier can speed it up. And I think that they've been getting stops in a more timely manner lately. I think there's just a lot of weapons. And it's kind of hard to, to plug all those holes. You're kind of playing whack-a-mole uh, on defense against Xavier. I think there's a lot of ways they can beat you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sule Boom, we've got to talk about him. They were talking about him on the broadcast, like, oh, he hasn't scored for <laughs> most of the game, and he doesn't have a point. And all of a sudden, you look up, and he, he scored 17 points in the second half. He finished God. with a double-double of 22-10, and 10, and he also had six assists. It's ridiculous. He's that guy. There's always that player every once in a while that you get where you feel like he's having an off night, and you look up, and he has 15. You know, you feel like he's barely putting the ball in the hole. I think it was UConn. I was like, what's he got, like eight? 17 points. You know, it, he's one of those guys. And Zach's kind of the same way. Zach just puts the ball in the basket, like at will. Yeah, Sule is definitely that guy. It was, it was yeah. a really, really nice night. Obviously, win good to win one at Nova. I think that about wraps up my takes. And I think uh, I'll probably jump off before I get fired here. Oh, Cam, Cam, Cam Whitmore's a fucking pro. Yeah, good he's boy. really good. Oh, my, he's a monster. He's good. He's All right, Cap. Looking play, fellas. I appreciate it a lot. Good to hear from you, brother. All right, Thanks, I'm gonna Cap. make some memes. Talk to you soon. All right, <laughs> see you, fellas. All right. We got uh, Southern Muskie in here. Let's see if we can. Uh... There we go. We got nice. You. All right. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> um, the one thing about Fremantle, I think we need to really point out is his motives this season. And he said it in a press conference um, a while back. Never made it out of the first round of the Big East tournament. Never made it to the NCAA tournament, obviously. Um, and, you know, has not won at Nova. You know, and along with other Xavier, you know, players, what has he done so far? You know, he's gone four zero at against UC. You know, that's a big accomplishment. He finally became one of the Xavier players to win at Nova, and he was the key performer of that game. So now you think about the next two steps for him is getting out of the first round or wherever Xavier is seated at in the Big East tournament, advancing in that, and then making it to the NCAA tournament. I mean, this is some. You know, this is storytelling shit that's going on with Fremantle and cannot be happier for him. You know, he's busted his tail. When you watch him play, it looks like he wants it. You know, he doesn't want to give up. Um, and I even tweeted out saying, like, listen, <laughs> I'm not going down here on my potentially final season with Xavier. We're going to go all out. Um, the one thing that I will say what I think it is funny is that we're all, you know, loving on Fremantle and all that. And it's just very down the stretch. Boom is like, wait a minute. Hey, I'm still on the team. <laughs> Watch me score 20 plus points. You know, I'm still here. So. And, and it feels like that's every game with Boom. No matter how he plays for the first 32 minutes, those final eight to 10, he always seems to be in the picture, whether it's knocking down free throws, taking care of the ball, making a big three. He is just so good at those end of game situations. And it's what this team 
lacked so desperately the last two years. Yeah. I I don't have those statistics in front of me. I would have to look this up. I would really love to see in terms of players throughout the country where he ranks as free throw, like as a free throw shooter. It, it's almost like I, I think somebody else tweeted out. It's just he doesn't miss. It's like he goes to the line and I see. And I was watching this. Villanova just found him, and rightfully, you know, they were passing him the ball to give it to him. Just found him. I was just like, man, I was just like, I don't think that's the one guy who you want to foul, and you don't want him going to line because if you're trying to strike this game out and like have a chance to win, you don't want Mister Automatic Points to go to that line. And so, well, I got some good. I got some good news for you, Southern Muskie. Yeah, go ahead. I I can answer your question right now. He's 85th in the country. He's shooting 87 percent from the line. Mm. And he's seventh, seventh in the Big East. So, ooh, there you go. Well, it, in in Big East play, I should. I say, will say, and it's most likely going to get better as the season goes on for him. No question. <laughs> but, there's a lot of guys who are artificially but, inflated right now. Who won't. I will say though, you know, this was a good victory. It was. I don't want to say the monkey is fully off the back of this team because we have to consistently beat Nova, but this was a good step in the right direction. Now we just have to wait and see on, I believe on the 21st at CentOS to see what they have to say. But you know what? Keep it rolling, undefeated. You know, take on Marquette the next. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. For sure. I, not to be a Debbie Downer at all here, Paul, but I, I, it's like we do have to point out Villanova is not what they've been well, in past uh, years this uh, year. Okay, so not not to cut you off, but I was I had a few points I wanted to make on that. So, to yeah, Villanova is now eight and eight in uh, or on the season. They're sixty first overall in Ken Palm. Their net ranking coming into the day was a lot lower than that. This is only a quad two win. I say only, but Villanova, you're used to this always. It's always a quad yeah, one home, win, home or away, home or away. It's always a, just a pencil it in quad one win for Xavier. So. If you, if you take the emotion out of this of finally winning at the Pavilion, net-wise, it's a quad two win for Xavier. But the other thing, too, think back to the preseason pod we did when, when, we, when you and I were going back about our predictions for the year. I mean, I'm, I, I, you and I talked about it, and I had some question marks for you about Villanova, and we were thinking, is Villanova going to be what they always have been? And I just... You know, I, I had talked to some people before the season. I was I had some concerns about Villanova. Now, granted, they had, they're dealing with some injury issues, right? You don't have Justin Moore. You don't today. You didn't have Jordan Longino. You get Cam Whitmore back after a month of the season when you go play in Portland. You miss him for all of those. So there have been a lot of on-court injury issues that Villanova has been dealing with this year. But right now, Villanova is sitting at two and three in the Big East. That is behind five Big East teams right now. And this team that we saw today does not look like a team that's going to compete for a Big East title. And you tweeted it or you put it on the message board somewhere. It is really hard to believe that there is a chance that there is a five-way race for the Big East regular season championship. Creighton, UConn, Marquette, Xavier, and Providence. And Villanova, they might not be a part of that race. It's crazy to think about. And Look, they've been a different team since Cam Whitmore joined them. They are a lot better now than they were when they played in the PK-85 in November. Yeah. So it, that's that's just a fact. If they had Justin Moore, that would make a big difference too. Losing Jordan Longino, isn't, he's not the impact player that those two guys are, but it, it didn't help them, that's for sure. It just made them thinner, if nothing else. But the problem for them is, 
it sounds questionable whether Justin Moore is coming back at all at this point. Well, it seems like just reading the tea leaves that he wants to figure out almost is it worth it for him to come back, right? right. Like, you don't want yeah, to. Yeah, if this come- isn't an NCAA tournament team, what's he coming back for? Yep. And right now, this is not an NCAA tournament team, which is, can you believe we're saying that? But we're, it's true. No. Now, and that's not to take any shine off of this win. If you haven't won at a building in nine years and it's been a house of horrors for you, well, it's a massive win. And, and it's still a quality opponent that you're playing against on the road, which is always difficult. So I'm not trying to take much away from Xavier here, but I do think, you know, when you have this conversation about where Xavier is in the Big East and everything, you do have to note that this Villanova team is not what they once were. No, and, and that was the point that I made on the Full 40 podcast this week. I said, hey, look, this Villanova team, you know, this could be Georgetown, and they could have Villanova written across their chest, and I don't think Xavier fans would care right. if they won at Villanova. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. This win means a lot to this team. It means a lot to the program. It means a lot to the fans. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I, I know that this team – this Villanova team isn't what they always have been. But now you get into a space, Rick, where looking ahead down the rest of the schedule, you're you're 2-0 and in this really hard stretch at the beginning of the year in these, in these four games. But you're getting to a point here with this team where you have to start asking, what is this team capable of? Well, and, and that's a really good point. Let's come back to that. We've got the uh, the Xavier Muskie, Xavier Muskie 88 oh, here. Oh, I know who this is. Let's go. Waiting to get in. So let's get let's go to that, and then we'll get back to that point. Remember that point, Paul, because I want to get back to that. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we got you. Rick What's going Paul, on? How you guys doing? First time, first time speaker here. Uh, I have two two quick little hitters. Um, number one, I agree with Paul's point on. I know this is not Nova's the best Nova team we've ever had, we've ever faced, but oh, what oh and eight, oh and nine. I've been a Xavier fan. Oh and nine. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I think getting over that hump is so big. Uh, regardless, I mean, we've had some crazy good Xavier teams go in there and just get our ass kicked. So just like getting the no curse lift is awesome. Um, but number two, this actually got brought up while I was watching the game as friendly banter around the television. How do you think we are against the press? I feel like UConn pressed us and we kind of, Sule Boom had some not uncharacteristic turnovers. And I feel like Nova the same way. The press were not great at handling. So I just wanted to see if that's like a fair criticism or what your guys' thoughts are on that. So, so that's interesting. I think there's there's kind of like two different things there. I think Xavier is fine against normal pressure throughout the course of a game. They have a team is just throwing on their two two one press or a three quarter court trap, something like that. I, in fact, we've seen earlier in the se- season other teams who are, are used to pressing all game and playing very aggressively in a full court style have called it off against Xavier because they're so good at beating it for points on the other end, and they they are totally content to play in a fast-paced game and try to score as much as possible against you. So I don't think they have any issue with that. I do have some concerns in those end-of-game situations like you saw Villanova in tonight or today where it's desperation time and you've got six, seven, six, five really athletic, tough wings going all out, not worried about committing fouls because you're probably going to be fouling anyways if you don't get a steal, going up against like Sule Boom when you're trying to get the ball in bounds, or Adam Kunkel in the backcourt. Like you've got one guy back there that kind of has that physical strength and and size and makeup 
to contend with some of those other guys when you're trying to inbound the ball. And I do think it makes it difficult. Like you just saw Cam Whitmore giving Sule Boom all types of difficulty when they're trying to inbound it into the corner. And he, he dove and deflected that ball and it ended up being off Sule Boom in the end. So that, there are some concerns there for me. But I think those two situations are a little bit different. Like I don't think there's a team that's going to, to put on a press for – a full 40 minutes and Xavier's going to commit 25 turnovers or anything like that. I think it's only really a concern in those end of game desperation type situations when you're trying to inbound the ball. No. Awesome. I, you and uh, Paul are the best in the business. My, my last question I'll leave you guys with is um, not to turn the page too fast, but we got Creighton, we got Marquette both at home two and oh, one and one. Any thoughts on that? And I'll, I'll, um, I'll leave, but thank you guys. Appreciate it. Paul, what do you think on those two games? Well, I think that now all of a sudden, I mean, you're looking at Creighton, who's who's been better lately since Ryan Kalkbrenner has come back. They've looked much, much better than they did during their six-game losing streak. But you they lost today. They lost today, sixty-nine-sixty at UConn, yes, which obviously they, a tough game with UConn coming off two losses. Yeah, that was a game that was setting up for UConn getting back home after two games on the road and. And UConn played that real tough. Creighton had their chances. They were, that was, I mean, nine points. That was closer than that for a lot of the game, if, if you're listening to this and didn't watch it. Um, that was a really close game up until the end. But, I mean, I don't, I don't see a reason why Xavier can't go 2-0 and in these next two games. Well, you don't expect them to necessarily go 2-0 and against Creighton or Marquette, but with the way this team is playing right now, how could you pick against them at home? And with the students being back and at both games at home, I, I just it's it's really tough for me. If you're telling me, would you rather have Xavier or would you rather have Marquette on the road on a Sunday? I mean, I I don't know. I it, it would be tough for me to pick against Xavier in either one of these games. No doubt. And then that leads you into DePaul on the road and Georgetown at home. That that comes back to the question and a topic that we were going to get into right before we brought in Xavier Muskie, which by the way, load, load up calls here, load up the request. We don't have anybody in the queue. So go ahead. I, I see, if you Doc, want to talk Rock, to us. I see Doc Rock in here, Rick. Oh. Want me to go to Doc Rock? Yeah, let's go to Doc Rock real quick. All right. And, and anybody else load it up. If you want to get in here, we'll take any calls. There's like over a hundred people on here. right now. Can you so, hear me now? All right. Let's see. I, I see. Oh, we got you, Doc. Okay, d- number one, I think I'm speaking for the majority of the Xavier nation before this season. We just wanted two things. One, we want to go to the dance. Two, we want to have fun. And hey, what do you think, guys? <laughs> what do you think? I think we're two for Doc, two. Doc, are you having fun? I think we're two for two. Uh, no, number two, hey, uh, Rick and Paul, I got a great what I, an idea for a great interview. Oh, good. You always have good yeah, ideas. That's what she said. So, um, Whoever was the main recruiter for Suli, the assistant, it, I think it'd be, or, or maybe it was Sean. Uh, I'd love to get one you guys to interview him to get the backstory, how how we found out about him, uh, who else was involved, how did we, well, what made us think that he was going to be well, a, a high caliber we- point guard in the Big East. Well, we can tell you right now that Sean uh, saw him when Sean was a head coach at Arizona. Arizona played against UTEP, and Sean saw him, and Sean liked him. And when he became available in the portal, Sean went out and got him. Rick, you might have some more details, but that's the basics of it. Yeah, that's it. I can't remember exactly who the other 
uh, top schools were that Xavier was competing with in the end. But it wasn't a hotly contested battle, especially considering all the teams that needed point guards at the time. Yeah, I, I wonder what Sean saw that gave him uh, confidence that he was going to well, be able to come in and do what he's doing. A, a few things, really, uh, from what, what he said in, you know, like the coaches show with Byron and Joe and some preseason interviews. Um, one is that he said he has a knack for getting to the free throw line. He makes them at a super high clip, and that's a skill that translates. It's, it, it's kind of like rebounding. No matter what level you're at, if you're able to get to the free throw line, and, and obviously shooting a high percentage is important in that as well, and, and Sule's great at that, you're going to be able to do that at the next level too. And that is proven to certainly be the case with Sule. That, that skill definitely translates. So that was a big part of it, something that he knew would help out. And then also I think you just had um, a guy in Sule who really knew how to score the basketball. He could shoot efficiently from the outside. And I thought they believed as a coaching staff that he would improve by playing around better players because he was a high IQ guy, because he was a good teammate, that he wasn't a guy that was selfish and needed to have the ball in his hands all the time and needed to be the focal point of the offense for a bad team. He, in fact, would be better off playing around other more talented players to where he can create plays for others and showcase even more of his skill set. So, so have, having heard all that, it gives me some confidence that Sean can go out and do it again. I mean, there's a lot of point. I mean, there's probably 500 point guards out there, you know, that uh, uh, Sean, I think Sean will go out and find another one. You know? Well, I would, I would tell you it's going to be really difficult to find another Sule Boom, a guy who plays and performs to the level he has this year. I mean, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Even the coaching staff knew he would be this good. Yeah, uh, that, but That's true. That's true. But that being said, I agree with you that Sean has an incredible eye for talent, and, and that has always been the case, and I think he will continue to evaluate guys really well in the transfer portal, and they, they may not always be the guys that are the most sought after. Yeah, and uh, one of those, uh, another thing, Rick, uh, you've always talked about how important it, ha- it is to have the best player on the floor, especially at the end of the game. And I would propose that we haven't had the best player, but we've had the second, third, and fourth best players maybe in the last three minutes of a game. And, and I wonder, Rick, do you think that's as good as your original uh, proposition? Well, No, but also part of my point has always been you need a guy who at least believes he's the best player on the floor and is willing to be that go-to player and be like, give me the ball, get out of my way, I'll get fouled or I'll create a play. That's what Sule Boom has been. It's not always him because there have been moments where Colby Jones has stepped up or even like tonight, Zach Fremantle was obviously great. He made some of those plays. And that's a great spot to be in when you have multiple weapons like that. But you need the guy who doesn't wilt in those moments. And Xavier has really struggled with that the last two years where they just did not have a guy who was able to even seemingly be composed and organized in those moments. They had so many just turnovers and terrible possessions, terrible shots in late game situations the last few years that to me, that's, that's one of the biggest differences for this team is the way Sule is so composed and, and relishes being in those big moments. He loves it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and before I get off of here, I see Adam on here. We got to hear from Adam. But he, here's what here's the deal. I, I got a hold of uh, a uh, broker in the Cayman Islands, and somebody recently mentioned that we need a statue for Sean Miller. 
And uh, this account is in my name in the Cayman Islands. I'll give you the number, and you guys can all send money to that account. And just trust me. Just trust the doctor. <laughs> With that, I'm out of here. Love you guys. All right. Love you, Doc. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> oh, I love All right. Doctor. All right. Adam Baum, what's going on? You are – are you still at Finneran Pavilion? Or are you at your hotel right now? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm sitting right outside Finneran. My lift is like 28 minutes away, so I, I had some time to kill. I figured I'd jump on here with you guys. Beautiful. Yeah. So, what was it like in uh, Finneran Pavilion down those final minutes when uh, Caleb Daniels is nailing threes and the game is hanging in the balance? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was like at some point you were wondering, man, are they going to give this away? Um, just because it felt like they had so many opportunities to just put that game away and maybe it was a turnover or, you know, Jack Nungy getting beat off the dribble and he just grabs Brandon Slater and, and lets him have an end one. But there were like – there were moments there where it, it felt like it might slip away. And then what you guys were just talking about with Sule was like he, he's the great equalizer in those moments that if you can get the ball in his hands and another team has to foul – you just have complete confidence. And this is my fifth year covering Xavier. I've never – this is the first player Xavier's had in that time where he goes to the line and I'm just like I, – I typed the tweet out before he's even shot the first free throw that he's made of both. Like, it, it's ridiculous. But I wanted to hop on yeah. here. Um, Doc had a good question, and it's kind of crazy that he brought it up because on Thursday after Xavier's practice, I sat down with Adam Cohen and I interviewed him about exactly what Doc asked about Sule, just kind of like the behind the scenes, how they found him. And it was really interesting. Like Sean hired Adam Cohen and the first, basically the first thing he told him is like, we need a point guard. And it, it all, it, it was a total all hands on deck effort going through film, trying to find the right guy. Um, and so I'm going to have a story coming out about that whole entire process and, and how they found him, which I think is really interesting. But yeah, what a perfect, what a what a day for the Muskies, man! Like it, it's so I'm sitting here and it's like they won eight Big East games all of last year, and they've got five already. <laughs> it's pretty wild to think about. Well, and, I have two questions okay. for. Uh, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say real quick. Rick, before you say yours, is that anybody that's listening that's a Xavier season ticket holder, you have a Cincinnati Enquirer uh, subscription because you're a season ticket holder. So if you want to read that article that Adam will publish on that, um, if you're a season ticket holder, you can read it, or if you're a subscriber anyway. But just a yeah, plug or, or if practice. you're not, just sign up, pay the man his yeah, money. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do that it. Too. Yeah. You, right, uh, ahead, two Rick. questions for you, real quick, AB. Yeah. One. What was going on with Jack Nunji today? Do you, was there anything behind the scenes? Was he drained after maybe being sick in previous weeks? No, I, I don't think there was anything going on. I think, you know, you saw it earlier this year against Duke. I think this was just one of those games where, for whatever reason, and Zach, Zach had a couple absolute bunnies in this game that he normally makes, you know, 98 times out of 100, and for whatever reason today he couldn't get him to fall. But I will say, like, he hit that three in the second half. And when he hit that, I honestly sat there and I thought, maybe that's going to get him going. Maybe maybe that was what he needed to see. But as it turned out, you know, I, I, I need to look at the box score. I think he only had like one rebound today too, which is just ast yeah, two. Two. astronomical. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he was three for ten from the field, missed so many close ones that, like you said, he would normally make. And then defensively, he just seemed to not be very mobile. He seemed like he lacked energy, was a little lethargic out there. So I was curious if maybe there was any rumors floating around at the building that he might be struggling. But the other question I had, and this is the, what I want to talk with you about too, Paul. I think this is the point where you start dreaming as a Xavier fan about what the season could be, right? Yeah. I mean, to your point, they only had eight wins in all of Big East play last year. And it's like, okay, maybe there's uh, some crazy fan who's really negative out there who's still worried about the other shoes going to drop and there's going to be some type of collapse. But, like, if Xavier's going on the road and hanging on against Villanova and winning by eight points, and they're 5-0 in Big East play, and you look at what the top of this conference looks like right now, which is wide open, yeah. I, I don't think – I, like I, I don't think there's any concern about Xavier falling apart down the stretch here. I think it's nothing but upside in thinking about how good could this season potentially end up for this team and what type of seed could they potentially earn. And and we're getting to the point where that question is changing with each win. It seems like I mean I you know uh, early in the season I thought 12 wins would have been a, a really nice Big East season for this team, and then it went to like okay maybe they're capable of 13 or 14, and now it's like. Could could it be 15 or more? Could it be 16? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And to put that even more in perspective, when Xavier beat St. John's, I think I tweeted out something about how hard the upcoming stretch is. You know, you got UConn at home. You got to go to Villanova, then Creighton and Marquette. And I had Xavier fans responding to that going, you know, if you can win two of those, that'd be awesome. If you only win one or you win none, it's an absolute disaster. And it's like we're sitting here – they just took care of UConn. They take care of Villanova. And now it's like if somehow you can keep this rolling and you beat Creighton and Marquette at home, like we're talking about a team that might potentially be 7-0 and in the Big East Conference. And then you got what? I think at DePaul and then home against Georgetown. Like it, it, it's, it's pretty wild to think how, how optimistic you can be about this team right now. Well, I think we would agree, and you correct me if I'm wrong, either one of you, but over the next four games, and again, that's home against Creighton, home against Marquette, at DePaul, and home against Georgetown. I think three and one is the most likely outcome at this yeah. point. I, and that puts you at eight and one to start Big East play. That's crazy. I think my biggest question for this team is what does this team do? How do they respond when they lose a game that they shouldn't lose? You know, when they when it's a Tuesday night, like I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but if there's a clunker of a game, I, I'm just kind of looking at it. Like uh, Wednesday away at Marquette, right? Like a clunker of a game in mid-February and you come back against DePaul the next day. Like those types of games, if this team loses one of those, do you respond? Do you put that behind you? Do you lock in? And, and there's no reason to believe with the way the season's gone so far that they can't do that and that, the, that this team can be as special as it's shaping up to be. Yeah, and there's also no reason to think that they're going to step on any landmines. You know, I know that it's a long season, and, you know, you look at Providence today. Providence had a real dogfight against St. John's. And it's like you're, you're probably going to have some games that are close against teams that you expect to beat. But I just – this team doesn't give me the vibe that they're not going to be able to, to take care of those games. Um there, there was one other thing I wanted to tell you guys because I'm going to write a, a whole story about this, but I figured I would just tease it for you guys in the audience. But 
I got to talk to Zach after tonight's game. And we talked for a while. Like, I think the interview was like eight minutes. But he said something that I found really profound and enlightening. And it maybe is not even surprising to you. But he talked about... I cannot wait to hear what this is after the way you just hyped it up and considering who it's coming from. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm embellishing. But to me, it was profound hearing him talk, like, really in-depth about this. And he, he basically said that, like, Sean Miller, everyone in that locker room can see how much Sean loves basketball, how contagious his love for the game is, and how that, that love has really, like, reverberated throughout the whole entire locker room and the impact that it's had on the guys in there. And he wasn't saying it to, like, bash anyone previously. Like, he was very respectful about it. And he was just like, look, when you have a guy that loves this as much as Sean Miller does – it's hard not to love it like that as well. So I, I found that like really interesting coming from Zach. And um, I think it says a lot about like where this team's headspace is at right now. Adam, do you think the thing with Sean, because I, I would say almost anybody who is this level of successful, meaning they're coaching at a high major university or even for the most part playing, uh, at least like starting, they probably love the game. They're probably junkies to some extent. Do you think the difference with Sean is the way that he loves teaching the game? Because there is some weird, like, contagiousness to Sean's voice. And, like, when you watch his face and you hear him in the huddle, just even during that all-access broadcast, where it's like, how do you not love being coached by this guy? How do you not love listening to him talk about basketball? And I don't understand exactly why it feels so different coming from him than other guys who I know love it it, incredibly – much too. The other thing I've noticed to your point is when I talk to Sean, like in maybe a one-on-one setting or we're like, we're close, we're, we're shoulder to shoulder, like his eyes, like there's something in his eyes that is just like, you know, you could call it psychopath vibes in like the best way possible, <laughs> but like his, his eyes give off, I'm sure he'd appreciate his that. eyes give off this real vibe as to like what he's all about and how much he loves this and how much he cares about it. And, and I think it's impossible to miss for a lot of these guys. Like, I think it's really resonated with this team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely something interesting because he has a way of just drawing guys in and getting them to, to completely buy into what he's selling and, the whole proverbial run up through a brick wall for him. Like all that stuff applies a hundred percent. When you talk about Sean Miller and his players, it's, it's just interesting to see it in action and, and what a difference it's made on this same cast of characters from a year ago. Yeah, I agree. And that's, uh, that's all I got. I know there's probably other people on here who want to talk, but I, I'm just sitting here waiting for a ride back to my hotel. I figured I'd join you guys for a little bit. We appreciate Thanks, it, man. Yeah. Appreciate Thanks it for having me. All right. We have uh, I see one here. I think is I think this is Steve with an elite profile picture. First time, long time or short time with the podcast here. Um, Paul, love your podcast. Awesome, uh, awesome to listen to. Nice short uh, podcast every day. Um, Appreciate it. Real quick question. Um, you know, I'm thinking. You know, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Thinking about seeding for the tournament. Um, hypothetically, if Xavier goes say 16 and four wins the big East. What kind of seed are you guys looking at? You think? Um, okay. So I, I had a couple of points that I wanted to make on that, Rick, which I'm glad Steve, you brought it up. Um, 
I'm assuming your name is Steve here. I'm it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I like to look at this sometimes because we get into this echo chamber where you're, you're following Xavier and the Big East so closely and you're following these same narratives and headlines and everything else that I like to step back and kind of see what some of the national writers or people or projectionists and everything are talking about. And you look, you know, Joe Lenardi, to his credit, he tries hard, man, but he's not the best at his job. But to his credit, he has the most attention probably of any bracketologist that's out there. And, you know, he has Xavier as a four seed right now. And just as a as a microcosm of what this team can do, you talk about a team that wins 16 or 17 games and wins the Big East, that's going to be a protected seed no matter what. I mean, that, so, that, I, that's a two seed to me. Yeah, so, I, think I mean, just based well. off of yeah. – yeah, like, I mean, it's hard to – do it in a vacuum and not factor in what other teams did, obviously. But if you're putting together a season like that, that's a, that sounds an awful lot like a two seed. The the only thing that I would say about that, Rick, would be that if Xavier was 16 and four, that would mean that they have seven losses. Do you think seven losses is good enough for a, a two seed? Mm, good. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe last two or three you're yeah. talking about um I'm just but i mean at, you, i'm just looking at an accumulation of losses i guess as as a as it relates. that's a fair point I, I guess i was thinking a lot of these other teams in the top you know 15ish range are are accumulating losses too here but um yeah that's a good point either way i mean like right now if you were to ask me where is xavier falling i mean just doing a rough sort of look at their ranking if they're a top 15 team after this week you're talking about a top four or five seed, probably, if everything ended right now. Um, so I, I, I think you're looking at nothing but upside from here. So uh, yeah, I think you start at maybe like a five today, and you look at where can you climb from there. And I think the answer is potentially anywhere is uh, most likely is probably a three or four, but a two could be in play. Well, bracket matrix updated yesterday, and Xavier was the the first four seed on bracket matrix yesterday. So there you go. that's before this game. So yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a team that wins the big East, the big East champion is going to be a protected seed. And if that's Xavier, then that's what matters. And a protected seed is the top four seed. Um, if, if you don't know that. So um, yeah, I, I just, I look at this and, and this goes back again, a microcosm of what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where can you believe that we're sitting here if you if we had told you before the season that we're sitting here on January seventh with this team on a nine game winning streak and five and zero in the Big East that you're talking about being potentially a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament, there are a lot of people and we've already had calls about it on this space. They're just happy to be in the tournament. You know, I think a lot of people would have been a okay with playing in Dayton, right? And now all of a sudden you have a team that is competing at a high level and can really compete. For a a good seed, a really good seed, which is crazy. Paul, let's get even slightly more specific with your uh, made-up scenario here. Let's say I told you last, I don't know, May, that the day after Xavier played at Villanova during this season, we were going to be hosting a Twitter Spaces where we were talking about Xavier potentially being a two or a three seed. And that was the that was the argument that we were having is like, oh, are they actually good enough to have a two seed? Now it might be more like three or four. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I I think Xavier fans, and I know most probably do, but I think Xavier fans need to appreciate what's going on right now and the, and the perspective of 
what but, well, do, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you think there's a lack of appreciation right now? <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes <laughs> I, I don't think so, there is. Well, in, I know. I, I just, you know, sometimes you get so caught up in winning so many games in a row, and, you're, and you, the expectations start to raise and raise. And I don't know. I just think back to to last April or, or right at you know around the NIT, and you're thinking, well, what is the future? What's going on here? And now all of a sudden, it's the first week of January, and you're talking about a team that's going to compete for the Big East title potentially. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that 99% of people probably do appreciate it, but you know, just I would I, I would go as far as to say I think one of the things that has made this year really fun from a Xavier perspective is it's one of the very rare occasions where you have a fan base who is appreciative and is being fun and just enjoying what's happening because it is such a turnaround from previous year, like. Maybe by the end of this year, we'll already be past that. And you're right. They'll be mad that they didn't go farther in the tournament. Or certainly by next year, expectations will creep in and everybody will start being mad at decisions that are being made and who's not playing and stuff like that. But right now, to this point of the season, I haven't experienced hardly anything except for people who are really enjoying basketball season. And it shows on the message board. Like last year, it was nothing but people bitching, complaining and fighting. This year, it's nothing but really interesting basketball conversa- conversations where people are like making really good points and then bringing up great stats and then talking about what could be for the future and all types of fun stuff. And like that's why all of us do this, I think. I mean, like that, that's what we all really enjoy. It just a lot of times it, it doesn't really allow for that with the way the internet works. Yeah, and I really hope we don't get to a point this year. And that's not to say that if something happens that you can't be critical, but I just, I just hope that people continue to enjoy the ride as much as people are, and that if there is a a two game skid somewhere, that all of a sudden things don't revert back to being, you know, over too overly negative, right? Because this this has just been so much fun to follow and to track and to watch, and and you just get the feeling again. Before I see, we have a couple more people requested in here, and this is the last thing I'll say on that, just that. That when it comes down to the end of a game and a close game, like tonight, I'm sitting here with my family watching the game and I'm saying, you know, everybody's freaking out and I'm saying, hey, look, like this team can win and we've shown that they can win a close game, that they have the the poise and understanding to win a close game. And they went out there and they did it. They converted. Yeah. They did it. It's thanks. been a fun group to watch. Thanks, Steve. Is that it? All right. One more thing. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, look, I, I saw something some on the message board last week where a guy said Xavier just got a donation for like 3 million for NIL for net, you know, moving forward. If we're going to bring one guy back next year, is there a possibility that Fremantle or Nunji may come back if there's some NIL money coming through? Well, it always makes it easier if there's NIL money coming through. I would say both of those guys are fairly unlikely to come back, but I wouldn't rule anything out a hundred percent. I mean, yeah, Who knows? Would, maybe maybe I, Jack I Nungy and his wife are really enjoying traveling around to all of his games, and they just want to do that for another year before he goes into the real world. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. What were you going to say, Paul? Go ahead. No, I was going to make that same exact point with Jack, that you have to remember, like, he and his wife are here, and, and they're they're planted in Cincinnati, and you never know with NIL money what kind of a – that's not to say he's coming back. That's just to say that – you know they they are kind of established here in Cincinnati, so I wouldn't I wouldn't rule anything out. But they've also been in college for a very long time, so yeah. I, I would imagine my my money would be on him wanting to move on with life. That's just the way it kind of works when you're that age. But 
that being said, I mean, if look, if there's any way to get these guys convinced that staying in college for another year is worth their time, it's paying them some NIL money. So, yeah, that's definitely the way to do it. Yes. All right. Uh, we have somebody else in here. We have um, Ahmad is in here. Ahmad, I'm going to bring you in. Ahmad, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. What's going on? Got a lot of people listening. Ahmad, What's go going ahead. on, guys? Uh, first off, shout out to you both. These spaces are always fun. Shout out to also Adam Bauman, all the work that he does. I'm sure he finally got in his car. But I want to make a comment on – I have a comment and then I have a question. I'll let you guys do your thing. My comment back is on the expectations from Muskie fans. Yeah, last couple years have been pretty negative. But personally, I think what's happening this year uh, goes to show you is we knew this team could be this good. I think that's what was frustrating last year. It's a lot of the same guys. Yes, you add Sule. Last year there was Scruggs. But the talent was still there. And it's pretty evident that the coaching makes everything. And the coach in place last year, just nice guy, but couldn't get it done. The coach here now is respected, can get it done, right. and goes to show you that you know, obviously he knows what he's doing. So my question is, and this is probably in line with just, you know, thinking way too far ahead. But Sean's doing a hell of a job. Is there any worry that, hey, some big school that's having a down no, year? No, no, okay. no. That's what I want to hear. Rick, that's, what be... I hear that's what no. I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. No, no. Well, the, the, the most interesting conversation, this actually someone asked us this on the Skinny podcast this week. Richard Skinner and I talked about it for a little while. It, it, Kentucky. If John Calipari were to walk away, would Kentucky come look at Sean Miller? Because when you think about a school like Kentucky, which coach is out there that has a big enough profile that is established enough that you know is a good coach that's going to, one, satisfy that fan base, and two, you you feel good about being competent enough to compete at that level to which they want to? And the answer is Sean's probably like top of the list aside from the – pie-in-the-sky names like Brad Stevens and Billy Donovan that aren't going to leave the NBA. But that being said, and this was my point on the Skinny Podcast, I don't think there's much likelihood that Sean would consider UK very well, might over the next you know two or three years if for some reason Cal were to step down. But I don't think Sean would look to leave Xavier for any job in the next two or three years. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm crazy to say that, and uh, money could change everything. But I don't think that's the way Sean looks at this. I think he views this as a, an unbelievable second chance at doing what he loves and, and being in a spot where he loves. I think he feels appreciated Xavier, and, and he doesn't take it likely that they kind of stuck their necks out for him to bring him back. And I think also there is a little bit of this feeling that he probably experienced when he was at Arizona. When you go to a program that's a has-been, And Arizona was a has-been when he went there. I don't know that you'd say that about UK. They're still very relevant. But they're certainly not having the same success over the last decade that they'd have in in previous decades. All you hear when you get there is, oh, good, you've almost got things back to the good old days. You're almost as good as, you know, Tubby or uh, Coach Rupp or whoever. That's That gets old. It's not as fun. When you're at a place like Xavier right now, Sean is talked about as the greatest coach in school history already. What do you think happens when he takes Xavier to their first Final Four ever? And then it's not, 
oh, good, Xavier's back where they used to be when Loot was here, like it was at Arizona. It's You're the first to ever take Xavier to a Final Four. There's nothing but upside from here. This is a crazy new day for the program. You led us here. That's just a totally different feeling. And I think, you know, I don't know how much Sean values that personally, but I would after having already experienced the other side of it a little bit. Yeah, I think everything you, you said makes sense. And I, I personally don't know if he wants to go through all the headache of going to a big school, big media. I mean, every step he makes, they're going to be looking at him. We're at Xavier. We're in the Big East. We're not the same name as a Kentucky or Arizona, but, you know, he's not going to be – not everything he does is going to be looked at underneath a microscope. And I, I – Yeah, like Cincinnati media just does not care at all. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, and I think, that, I think that's it. And, and, and trust me, listen, I – I hate that I even brought it up and asked the question, but I, I mean, we know what where Xavier is. We've got a great history of great coaches that are able to go and coach at these top schools. We saw what Sean did uh, at Arizona, and credit to him and all the hard work he puts in. Look what he's done with almost the same players that Travis Steele had last year, and look where we're at. We're like you said, who would have expected today? We'd be talking about 5-0 and and talking about a two-seed. I would have never thought we'd be talking about can Xavier get a two-seed after what he's experienced the past four years. So, guys, I appreciate everything you do. Just wanted to jump in and say, say that and ask the question and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ahmad. All right, we got Ben. I'm going to bring Ben in here. Let's see. Ben, are you here? We're here. Thanks, guys. Hey, a couple questions for you here. First and foremost, is there a Xavier over that has not hit this year? And then second, <laughs> what is the eligibility of Jerome Hunter look like after this season? Or are we going to have to watch him uh, in the NBA next year? Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, well, to answer your question about the uh, Xavier uh, overs this year, yeah, Xavier, it, there are it, three, actually. One of them's pushed. Of the, of the game, Xavier... Xavier's 12-3-1 to the over. Yeah. So four Duke, of them haven't hit. Duke, Southern, St. John's, those didn't. Those all went under. And then you had the Seton Hall game pushed. Yep. Yep. Jerome Hunter, I mean, number one pick? I don't know. I think that's yeah, what well, you're looking uh, for. Well, he, he has a, another year of eligibility left is the yes. answer. Whether he chooses to use that is unclear, but he does have one more year if he wants it. Oh, my gosh. You guys are getting me excited. Okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> no problem. But think Thanks about for the call. Rick, Rick, think about that. Think about where we were last year that we have had four different people in the last hour call and plead their case that Jerome Hunter come back for another year. Think well, about that. And Zach Fremantle. Yeah. Like both of those guys were getting crushed at the end of last year by the fan base. And, that, I mean, Zach Fremantle got openly booed in the CentOS Center. People were wondering, didn't Zach, wasn't there an, not, I don't want to say an altercation, but wasn't there a point last year where somebody made a comment to Zach on the floor and he kind of like yelled back at somebody in the front row, like somebody that was heckling him and he kind of got upset and frustrated and yelled back. I think that happened last year. Uh, I, I have no, no level of certainty on something like that, but it would not surprise me. Yeah, I, I think I remember standing down there and, and something like that. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm making it up, but... Uh, Oh, it's either a good way, thing to make up. Either way, the point <laughs> is just that that uh, you know, I all of these guys have just completely, completely changed the perspective of what this 
program's capable of and, and, and what they're doing right now and how and the trajectory of everything. And, and, like, obviously give a ton of credit to this coaching staff and everything, but the Zach thing I do think is a lot on Zach. Last year the injury played a major factor. He came back, he didn't play well, and then I think he lost his cool a little bit and he got frustrated. And what was going on with the team and it losing games and collapsing at the end of the year only exacerbated that, like no question. So I'm not saying it was like there were other things going on that that led to him probably playing the way he did and seeming frustrated constantly. But I put a lot more of that on him changing who he's been this year. And part of that is just be, being fully healthy too. He's, he's had more success on the court because he's been healthy from the get-go and he had a great offseason. Yeah. All right. I'm seeing Chris in here. Chris calling in. We'll get him connected. I see him uh, connecting in. Chris, how many, how, how many do you see right now? Chris hey. was the last one that I had. Okay. If, if you, oh, Chris, hold on one second. If, if you guys want to uh, get any more requests in, we have been going for over an hour now, so we'll probably wrap it up here soon. Uh, anyone who requests in, we'll go ahead and take, but then after that, we'll wrap it up. So if you want in, get in now. Chris? Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, Chris? Just a quick thought. I, w- I wanted to get your guys' take on this. I- I'm trying to avoid comparing Sean to Travis just for the sake of Travis and because I'm getting so tired of doing it. So just focusing yes, thank on, you. Yeah. That'd be nice. So just focusing on like Sean, it, like I was thinking, I was trying to think of like what are the things he really brings to the table that have seen such per- performance by the team this year. And I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it because the ones that really pop out to me are number one, better shot selection. Uh, number two, his ability to adjust in game, which I felt like we saw again today make make a huge difference and like against UConn and then tonight against Nova the games were close at times but I felt like Xavier controlled the game as crazy as that might sound and I think that might be because of Sean's ability to make adjustments so quickly on the fly so shot selection his ability to adjust in game and then number three I think just the you know he brings a standard and if you don't rise to that standard he holds you accountable to it immediately in the yep. moment. You know, we sort of saw that with Zach's suspension earlier this year with Kiki losing playing time and now it's slowly being worked back in. Um, and, and guys respond to that, you know, real competitive guys. If it's fair, they respond to it. And so those are the three things I'm really seeing. I wanted to see if either of you guys uh, had picked up on anything else that's really allowing him to have the success he's having. Um, all right, I'll hop off and listen. Thanks. The, Thanks, the, Chris. Go ahead, Paul. The one thing I would say is that this team isn't playing tight this year. They're not playing nervous. They're playing loose. They're having fun. They're enjoying the game. And I know those all sound like intangibles, but I remember sitting there at Madison Square Garden last year behind the basket watching Xavier play against Butler, and they're up by six with less than a minute to go. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, is this team going to win this game? That thought would not enter my mind this year. That thought would be, all right, what are they going to do to close it out? Last year it was, how are they going to choke it away? And there was just it, it just never felt like they had the confidence. It always felt like they were trying too hard last year, whereas this year they've been able to play free. They've played loose. They haven't played nervous. They've made smart decisions. They've been where they needed to be in the system, when they've needed to be there. And all of those things have combined to be – a successful season to this point. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to the stuff we talked about at the top of the show here and 
uh, what uh, who was our last caller? I don't even remember who it was, but who whatever he had he had just said where um, he was talking about the the discipline, holding guys accountable, better shot selection. Uh, what I was talking about, role allocation earlier. To me, all of those fall under kind of the same deal with Sean, and that's the the discipline and holding guys accountable more than anything. It's like no, you're going to play the way we tell you to play, and that's it. Like there is no gray area. There's no like, oh, that's okay. You've got the ultimate green light. No, you're you're be you're put in a box, and you need to play this way, and it's best for the team, and it's best for you too, and it'll work. And uh, guys have bought into that, and they've had success in that, and that's bred confidence in in the way that they play. Yep. All right, I'm seeing one more. This is going to be our last call. Uh, Nate Oates burner. I love I love the Twitter handle. Yeah, Nate Oates. <laughs> Maybe putting uh, Calipari on the hot seat. All right, go ahead. How you guys doing? I just been listening. Great. I don't. Uh, obviously, I'm a I'm a Bama fan. I don't I don't really watch a whole lot of Xavier, but roll tide, roll tide, roll tide, baby. Hey, I got two things real quick. Uh, Colby Jones grew up about ten minutes from where I grew up, so it's kind of been interesting to see him, you know, develop over the last couple of years. Uh, I want y'all to talk a little bit just about what y'all have seen in him under the the different coaches. And then also uh, the caller earlier was talking about, you know, maybe Sean getting a look at Kentucky if Cal was fired. Um, I don't think y'all have to worry about that just because I, I, I think what you said earlier was, you know, he's kind of been there, done that with Arizona. And then with, you know, just – Obviously, he's going to get a call. I mean, he's a great coach, X's nose. Um, he's proven he can win in the tournament, a good recruiter. Um, but I, I, th- I think he would turn that down, just my personal opinion. So, uh, thanks, guys. All right, Nate Oates-Burner, appreciate it. Alabama fan. Paul, how about that? Did you think we would hear from an Alabama fan tonight? You know, our, our, uh, our space, I've seen a few national names pop in and out of this uh, – this Twitter space throughout. Referring to, are you referring to a certain barstool personality? I'm re- I'm referring to a certain person who's who was recently rehired at barstool. That's that's exactly right. All right, he's off suspension, huh? Yeah, off suspension. Um, yeah, no, I I I Colby Colby tonight, boy, I he, after coming off the game with a few of those turnovers, I it, he seems like he's had a, a few quiet games in a row. Yeah, but I mean. He had some big plays in terms of setting other guys up in this one. I thought some of his drives and assists were great, but you know those turnovers in the first half were something that it, it was something that he did a lot last year, where he'd just rack up three, four, five kind of careless turnovers throughout the course of a game, where he gets too loose with the ball, or he just carelessly throws one away. And he hadn't been doing that most of this year, and then now all of a sudden in the last three games. We've seen it become a problem here in Big East play. So that's one little trend that you'd like to see him clean up. But overall, he's been great this year. I know a lot of people think that, you know, he, they, they've seen a big change in him from last year to this year because of the coaching change. He's one guy that I think, you know, he was already really good last year. I don't know how much he's changed other than just the normal progression you'd expect from a star player taking another step forward. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, have... his, his, he's shooting better, obviously, but I don't think his role has changed much. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, no, you're right. I, I have one more here. Tim. Tim hopped on. Tim, are you there? I'm here. Unmute yourself, Tim. There we go. Um, three quick things. I don't think Sean's going to Kentucky. I think after two or three national titles here, 
He might settle down in Lexington. Uh, two, John Dieter's shout out for potentially being fan of the year. And three, is there any truth to Travis Steele taking a helicopter to Oxford every day? I've heard rumors of that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why, where have you heard these rumors? I, I can't tell my sources, Rick. Uh, wh- where is the helicopter flying out of? Is he just going to Lunkin every yeah. day? Really? Yeah. I I had not heard that. Hmm. I mean, if it's true, that's amazing. I well, here's here's why I don't believe that. Maybe it's changed, but uh, I know earlier in the year, the you know the, there's you know, circles that you're kind of a part of here if you're in the basketball world around this area, and there you know some friends of mine who. Uh, we're all kind of mutual friends and know Travis um, had said that they had been taking calls from him on his drive back from practice every day when he was driving from Oxford back to was Cincinnati. It pretty, was so, it pretty loud? Was it a helicopter? <laughs> you know, they did mention that there was just constant <laughs> going on in the background. I don't know what that was, but I, I, I will say, I have heard rumors about this for games, but I have no idea about this every day. <laughs> how did we get here? How did, how did how did this night become about? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's I have there, there may look. I'm talking about I'm stretching here. I am stretching, but I think there may be some shred to this where Tim isn't totally jacking this up with a lie. Oh, I mean, I have no reason to think Tim is lying. I don't. I have no way to confirm. Was just trying to be sarcastic. No, I, I think there may be like something here, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's games only. I don't know if it's a family thing. I don't know what. But there's some well, sort of I, helicopter involved. All right. It's it's. Did were there anything else from Tim that we needed to address, or was that really it? Were we really just supposed to talk about Sean Miller having? Or, I mean, uh, Travis Steele having a helicopter. I think the helicopter. Yeah, was that's all I got. Right. Okay, thank you, Tim. That's great. Every time, every time we think we've had the last call, I mean, let's, let's just say PJ here is the last call. Okay, this is the last call. This is you. the last one. So if you're not in already, this is it. Uh, PJ, go ahead. If you're there, PJ, unmute yourself, Steel PJ. Steel helicopter rumor is true. I do know that for a fact, and that's all I got. Wow. <laughs> Do you know do you know anything more about it? I'm intrigued. Um, I don't want to divulge how much I know because it may <laughs> reflect exactly how the connection is, but uh, it Okay, that's he, fair. He that's does fair. still live in the home he lived when he was the head coach at Xavier and he does take a helicopter. I I do believe it is is game day only. And I do think he has some sort of condo or apartment in Oxford, you know, for, for late night, weeknight practices. Yeah. But yes, he does take a helicopter to and from Lunkin to Oxford uh, for certain things. But like, uh, two things, I don't know why we're still talking. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but look, two, two things about that. One, like the, the other stuff isn't a big deal at all. That's no surprise. I mean, as a head coach, like, yeah, you can afford an apartment next to the place. That's not a big deal. Um, so anyone would probably do that same thing. It's not crazy to commute an hour or less to and from work every day. The helicopter thing is interesting. I'll give you that. That's just, it's, it's funny. It's interesting. But also, like, I feel like people are saying this, like, it's a bad thing. To me, that's a baller-ass move. That's I would awesome. love to. 
Yeah, I would love to be just taking a helicopter to and from work. The most baller ass thing about the Miami basketball. That's awesome. Well, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, probably true. All right, PJ, thank you. All right, PJ. Uh, Rick, anything else? Oh, should we say something about Xavier before we end? I mean, I, with this became a, a Miami of Ohio transportation podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't have anything else. I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm pointed out here. Uh, all right. Well, we appreciate all the we appreciate all the callers. Really good post game show. I thought today through uh, no fault of yours or mine. It was a lot of people calling in with good questions and and good conversation to be had. Xavier has found a way to win at Villanova finally in their 10th try, 88-80. to 80, The final will wrap it up here for the Musketeer Report post-game show. Paul, I really appreciate you joining me here. Be sure to check out Rebound Rundown Podcast. You can find it in any podcast listening app that you use. And it's great. It's 12 to 15 minutes every day. It'll recap the night before in the local college basketball scene, preview what's ahead. You'll love it. I love it. I listen when I'm walking the dog or when I'm driving to and from Xavier or NKU. It's great. So be sure to check that out. Paul, anything else? No, I appreciate that, Rick. I appreciate everybody that's listened. And uh, what do you want to do, Rick, about a, a Musketeer Report pod this week? Or do you want to just upload this? Yeah, I'm thinking we might just upload this. This one pretty think there's well. Anyth- I don't think there's anything that we haven't covered here that we could cover. unless I mean, we even talked about Creighton and Marquette here, so – Right, and we have the Creighton game Wednesday, so it would be short shelf life if we recorded on like Monday night. So maybe um, maybe we wait a week and we do something next Sunday after Marquette. Yeah. Are we figured out? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. We'll update we'll you guys on the message board and on Twitter, but uh, probably no podcast on Monday. So Yeah, okay. All right, All right. thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys.